0: I wanted to do a recurring joke with, like, Twix and Twixt. Like, Twixt and Twix. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, so I wanted to find out, like, the tagline for Twix. They were thinking okay. it would have something like, take a break, or get some nuts, you know, like Snickers and yeah. such. The current tagline for Twix is, chew it over with Twix. <laughs> Put it in your mouth with <laughs> Twix. It's chocolate, some of it. <laughs> Past slogans include Twix and tea. Happy together. So kind of a joint promotion with T.
1: Big T stepped in on that one.
0: I don't like T. Twix is not for you. (laughs) Give that back. (laughs) Twix, try both
1: and pick a side. Which is from their (laughs) ad campaign where it was like Oh of course, yeah, Yeah, the brothers. Yeah. Yes, the Twix brothers. It's and it's a bad bad slogan there.
0: That's a bad slogan, because you need to understand a lengthy marketing campaign to get it. The last one here that I have is like really leaning into the comfort food angle because it's Twix. Need a moment. (laughs) I think that's the one that works best with uh, Twixed. (laughs) Francis Ford Coppola's Twix. Need a moment. I know I do. always make time for an old master's cinematic fever dream. You might just pick out the odd blood-stained spectral fanning whilst
1: it's at it. I'm Paul Salt. I'm confused. Well, that's going to be resolved shortly. This is a week of clarity for the Paws. <laughs> Staring down the barrels in, right into
0: an anus. <laughs> uh, today we shall be languishing in the lucid nightmare of Francis Ford Coppola's Twixt, the great director's last film to date following a career that began with bizarre genre fare like Dementia 13 and Finian's Rainbow uh, before moving on to legendary hits like The Godfather and Apocalypse Now, and then ending with bizarre genre fare like Jack and Twixt. <laughs> Coppola did have critical hits as late as 2009 with Tetro,
1: hmm.
0: his uh, Tetris prequel. <laughs> um, but those aren't fun to talk about so let's talk about this messy horror pie. There was once upon a time a town not far from a big city. It was at this time that a third-string writer of popular fiction named Hall Baltimore drove in on his book signing tour of another of his series of novels
1: about witchcraft. You know, we had a mass murderer a while back. A lot of folks think uh, the town's haunted.
0: Uh, the movie is about a once brilliant genre author with an alcohol problem who arrives in a small town only to be beset by... Oh, no, sorry, hang on. This is the plot to... Every Stephen King story ever,
1: <laughs> and Stephen King, the life of.
0: <laughs> it still works, I guess. Let me just tick the right option on the list here. Um, he arrives in a small town. He's beset by killer clown. No, scary dog. No, mm. Max von Sydow. No, his own failures as a father. Kind, yeah. Um, vampires. That's it. Yeah, he's beset okay. by vampires. <laughs> That's the villain of the piece. A, it's a film about <laughs>
1: vampires
0: by Francis Ford Coppola.
1: <laughs> <Is> it <laughs>
0: Your snicker was inclined at the end. Yep. <laughs> Isn't it funny. Twixt was received by critics like a Bruce Dern in the head. <laughs> uh, Kirk Honeycutt, great name.
1: Uh, the Hollywood wow. Reporter. Oh, sorry, one <laughs> second. Podcast over.
0: Kirk honeycut <laughs> Kirk Honeycutt. He's the inverse Kurt Vonnegut.
1: <laughs> he was born in the ashes of the original Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> to restore order to the sci-fi fantasy genre,
0: he writes very mundane science fiction stories where characters aren't called crazy things. They're called like <laughs> Ted Landerson. Oh god, I hope
1: someone called Ted Landerson is listening to our fucking <laughs> podcast. It's like, hey, Ted Landerson sounds kind of pinchy, <laughs> pinchiness though. Yeah. Shit. Kirk Honeycutt,
0: a Gosh. Hollywood reporter. I know, it never diminishes. <laughs> the dream sequence gives the director and cinematographer, I didn't practice his name before I read this, uh, <laughs> Mihai Mihai me Oh my god. That's like um mean? Van hoitema Do all cinematographers <laughs> have these wonderful recursive names? Kirk van Kerticut.
1: Does getting these beautiful like alliterations down in the name just trigger something in the chromosomes <laughs> from birth? Come from the womb with a shining halo. It rewires the membrane to see only beautiful images.
0: Mihai M- Malamere. Oh, fuck. I'm so sorry, Mihai Malamere. Mihai Malware um, Jr. Free <laughs> reign to throw just about any gothic imagery on the screen. Just about any old gothic imagery. Just get it up there. Castle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Is gargoyle. <laughs> one can only reflect on what young Coppola, with his masterful camera work and vivid imagination, might have done with such an opportunity. Unfortunately, the present-day one produces only tepid and tired imagery that would not earn high marks in any film school. I mean, it depends yes. who the student was. If the student was five-time Oscar award-winning filmmaker <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola, you might grade on a curb. Curb. On the curb of your house. Brian Orndorf, also hmm. pretty good, Wow. Um, at Blu-ray.com, oh. said interesting shotgun blast of ideas and moods, and while it doesn't braid together as evenly as Coppola might have hoped, the picture maintains a full punch of atmosphere. Get that up here. Oh, the public, I didn't finish this sentence, said uh, <laughs> David Spanswick over Amazon. Oh my god,
1: what's going on this
0: week?
1: <laughs> Hi, I'm David Spanswick. Here's my friend, Andy Landerson. <laughs> and kirk Honeycut. sorry what are your names paul and paul <laughs>
0: fuck off how, do, how can we make our names vonnegut ready it would have to be <laughs> no paul would I have to know. be the surname
1: it would have to be paul good pop <laughs> paul good pork pop paulie that's pretty good <laughs> pop paulie's pretty pinchian pinchian <laughs> you heard it here pop paulie's pretty pinchian <laughs> Paul's produced, Pop Paulie, pretty pinching. Everything we've said for the last 10 minutes is the title of a Kirk Vonnegut novel. <laughs> not a fucking Kirk Honeycutt novel, though. That would just be called Book with Words In.
0: <laughs> Buy now or don't. <laughs> okay, um, David Spanswick, um, in an Amazon review titled A Spectacular Misfire, said, Wow, this is either destined for cult status, ellipses, not, Oh, or that aforementioned bargain basement.
1: And he gave it three stars. Oh, did he not specify yes, true <laughs> statement?
0: True statement. I need everything to be ellipsied and then indicated to be either true or <laughs> <Confirmed>. false.
1: <Yeah. laughs> Confirm or deny it, David Spanswick, you fucking... You can't start with one rule and then just switch it up just because you're named David Spanswick. Or Francis Ford Coppola. Okay. <laughs> John Moore, also on
0: Amazon, said I agree with the other reviewer, David Spanswick No, he didn't (laughs) I agree with David Well,
1: with a name like John Moore, you'd have to, wouldn't you? (laughs) I agree with the
0: other reviewers who give this film a one star (laughs) A one star (laughs) Okay. What a boring film Val Kilmer is wasted in this kind of film And Bruce Dern cannot help to make this tripe of rubbish a move any better What? Watched about half an hour and binned it
1: for the second hand shop What rubbish (laughs) So he stood in a, in the secondhand shop. You know the secondhand shops that they have. Hi, sir, have you brought us with a bin? Have you
0: brought us something? And then he just throws his thing into the pin. There you go.
1: <laughs> you don't know how this works. Binned it for the secondhand shop. What a fabulously fucking weird way to express that.
0: <laughs> what a strange man. It's it surprises me that John Moore should be the weirdest of the of the
1: crazy <laughs> fucking people I brought with me today. Well, it's like you know how Lars von Trier had a very sort of nice middle class socialist upbringing. <laughs> look and 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 look at him. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean it's very much like Ho Chi Minh had a really good Western education.
1: I mean that's surprising, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> you know, you, you button it all up, and you know part parts start squeezing out like a like beaten up football. <laughs> Leanne tours
0: over at Amazon. Mm, it's not bad. That's all right. Switched it off after half an hour. Couldn't believe how much weight Val Kilmer has put on. Don't bother with this film.
1: <laughs> okay. Oof. Okay. Should have should have watched uh, Hollywoodland. Hollywoodland. <laughs> is that the one uh, what's the one where he's a porn star the saint remake <laughs> okay let's <sighs> okay yeah God. The, the saint i'm gonna remake. have to I'm, I'm gonna have to imd <laughs> all right val uh, val, val kilmer uh, Let me you, see. you have to do We're it not... out
0: loud to prevent me from doing
1: anything productive <laughs> in the meantime no actually, B- actually I do. a <laughs> wonderland is the one. Oh, wonderland also had carrie fisher in it oh lovely But Val Kilmer, I remember Val Kilmer also being fat in this. (laughs) (laughs) No, maybe he was in good shape because he was playing an ex-porn star. I just remember Val Kilmer being fat. They're all in shape. In my head, he's never not been fat, even though (laughs) there was obviously a while when he wasn't, because Batman. Yeah, Batman, yeah. Got a fat man. It's very true. See, with a boring name like Paul Salt, you've got to come up with good, good nuggets like that. (laughs) Can't just go around like a David Spanswick. (laughs) (laughs) Paul Salt isn't that bad. Like, maybe
0: I'm not Vonnegut-worthy, but I'd get into, like, a Stephen King.
1: It's better than Paul Goodman. You've got the, like, monos monosyllab, syb, <laughs> monosyllabism of the first and last name. I'm
0: Clint Rock, and I'm um, here to have sex with you today. <laughs> yep.
1: I'm uh. Buck Fuck. <laughs> How do fucking do? <laughs> it's mr fuck
0: let's talk about twix ah uh, the film made 1.7 million dollars back on a 7 million dollar budget and yes. this is probably the first time you've heard of it so paul you bargain bin stephen king he said sneering scarily <laughs> what's one thing about twixes that made you want to remove a stake from a woman's
1: chest there's a lot of good split screen action in this
0: oh boy there is like brian de
1: Palma. Brian, <laughs> Brian, Brian Dobama. <laughs> Brian Dobama. Brian <D'apostrophe. laughs> Dobama. <laughs> Brother of Barack Barack Obama. Reference to episode thirty-three or something. I don't Who the know. Fuck knows. The true fans will know. <laughs> Prove um, us wrong. There was a lot. You'd of- have to listen to one. <laughs> is it? Go on. Ask yourself: Is it worth it? Don't ask. Actually, don't ask that. Please. It's like a modern film.
0: Oh, I love those.
1: Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola knows that. <laughs> He's got, and he's got a treat for you. This is for a fan of, of all you fans of their modern films. <laughs> Paul,
0: what's Val Kilmer up to this week in the adventures of Val Kilmer?
1: Well, Val, Val Kilmer had to put on a nice old uh to play a writer called Hall Baltimore. That's pretty good. Hall Baltimore is a bargain basement Stephen King, as told to him by Bruce Dern, yeah. who who plays. What, he's also got a pretty good name, and he refers to himself in third person. Bobby LaGrange. Bobby LaGrange. Yeah. Bobby LaGrange, the
0: detective. Clearly it's the work of a serial killer. Someone wants to silence the
1: girls on the other side of the lake because they fry his sick mind.
0: And then they sizzle him because of some psycho
1: hocus-pocus condition that condemns them to be in the evil sluts that they are. And that... Is what's in his sick mind. He's in a small town and he is doing a book signing. Yeah. And he, well, nobody really comes to the book signing because... No. basement Stephen King. Even Stephen King can't pull in more than five people at any one time. <laughs> but Bobby LaGrange comes in and says, Hey, I've got a proposition for you, Mr. Shitwriter. Writer." <laughs> Yes, you know nothing really going on in his life to say yes immediately, but he eventually comes around to it because oh, you know. Bobby Lagrange takes him into a morgue <laughs> to go and look at a dead girl. Do you want to? Say, hey, <laughs> do you want to come see a dead person? Yes, yes, I do. Brewster is introduced incidentally in this
0: really awkward shot where he appears at the end of an aisle, and then he comes forward, yeah. but the camera doesn't move. He's kind of mm. like, "Hey, Mister Ryder, <laughs> uh, uh, Mister Mister Copeland, do you want to? Do you want to move the camera up so that?" You know, like get my, my face in no I'm not going to move the fucking camera okay the camera is going to stay fo- focused okay you don't get to move the fucking camera in life okay well, the camera is where it is and you just got to deal with where the camera is okay this is like a new age okay and we are heading into the heart of darkness and I'm not going to move the fucking camera away from the heart of the abyss okay
1: okay I'll stoop <laughs> <laughs> it's just that it's making my cheek sweat it's, there's a suction cup on the face there. That's beautiful, user. Bobby Lagrange. <laughs> Bobby Lagrange isn't comfortable with this.
0: <laughs> you, I thought I thought you were Bobby Lagrange. No, it's a, it's a fake. It, it, it's it's fine, Mister Mister Coppola. Francis
1: Ford Coppola doesn't
0: understand what you're saying, Bruce Dunn. <laughs> but now you're doing it. What the fuck is this? It's a redux. What? <laughs> Val, Val Kilmer's just like, can I go? I remember
1: I was in Batman. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no. And so Bob, Bobby Lagrange takes Val Kilmer to the morgue, which is sort of an annex on the side of bruce Dern's house which is also the police station i don't know it's a small town yeah um he lives in a tent and he's got he's built a morgue next to it <laughs> and he go he goes in and um there's a dead girl le- on a girl i was gonna say leaning on a gurney that wouldn't be technically correct <laughs> hello there sailor <laughs> don't mind the whole death thing
0: <laughs> don't mind the steak out of my chest
1: yeah she's lying there with a stake in her chest yeah um
0: and bruce Dern says you know Ah, this chick could have been anyone. Probably one of those whores from across the lake. God, I hate them. <laughs> yeah. God, I'm Bobby LaGrange. I'm Bobby LaGrange and I
1: fucking hate those chicks. Anyway, I wonder who the killer is. So, um... Yeah, never mind. Bobby LaGrange has an idea. He says, why don't the two of us collaborate on a new horror book? You're a you're a mediocre sort of... <laughs> hey, you're washed run, up. Run-of-the-mill writer. <laughs> We're about on and, par. And I'm almost dead. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's write the book, he says. Yeah. He has a Skype conversation with his wife. His dreadful wife. His dreadful wife. is also ex-real wife. <gasps>
0: oh, well, that added to that really seamless chemistry between them.
1: Pretend there's nothing it's wrong not go- I've not- put food on the table. Denise,
0: will you listen to you me? Can't, you can't speak okay. to me
1: like this. Just grow up. Uh, yeah. Grow up.
0: People always ask me,
1: sure, how do you know so much about no witches? Idea. And I Don't tell you ha- them because I'm married this film is so fucking meta they they're not getting on very well he's got a he's got to pitch a new idea um so he agrees he does agree because he has a dream well
0: yes he now he goes to stay in the house that once housed edgar Allan poe uh which is an excellent reason to pick a hotel (laughs) edgar Allan poe stayed here once role model he stayed here once he shat himself all night long after eating our complimentary (laughs) dinner And called it the worst night of his life and the inspiration for many of his more
1: violent and horrific works. So stay here. Edgar Allan Poe drank a quart of whiskey and then had sex with his 13-year-old cousin in this very room. Mm. Oh boy! I'm going to write a book. I think I can still see the butt prints. Are they creative juices, or am I just happy to be here? (laughs) Let's find out. You're fired from this, Val Kilmer. (laughs) You just can't fire my
0: Val Kilmer, okay? Val Kilmer is the heart of darkness in this movie, and you just can't throw him out, because mediocrity (laughs) is, like, everywhere right now, okay? I'm not Um, happy with any of what's happening. I'm not asking you to be happy, okay? Then he goes to sleep, and he dreams
1: of an Ellie Fanning. A Fanning shows up. (laughs) <laughs> fanning shows up a fanning comes right out of a Wes Anderson movie to stand next <laughs> to Val Kilmer only she's done up like Tim Burton it's very confusing it's very it's very meta
0: it is she's 12 years old and nine feet tall and um <laughs> she wants to save Christmas <laughs> all the, she says all the kids keep making fun of me uh because of my teeth and she shows him his teeth and she's got like weird vampire teeth but with braces yeah and um he says yeah. oh there's nothing wrong with those teeth those braces though. oh Oh, jesus no
1: no 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 oh sorry sorry i've just got to brace myself before you show me anything like that oh (laughs) Oh, look what i did yes (laughs) says val kilmer oh (laughs) god and he does like a five minute dance oh god sorry so i'll try and retain my emotions
0: 12 minutes later <laughs> <laughs> he goes to he goes back to his hotel in the dream but she's yeah. not going to come in with him for some reason and he goes in and there's a guy inside who's fucking trying to fix the clocks and he says "Um, yeah. uh, you, don't, you don't believe in Dela seven do you? what? you know who invented Dela Savenhaar? I'm sorry, I have no idea what the fuck you're saying. It's alright, you'll get it on the third or fourth try. Those seven faces, they look at me like I was the one in a very Daylight Savings Time. You know came up
1: with Daylight Savings Time, don't you? Do
0: you like Daylight Savings Time? Daylight Savings Time! <laughs> I see, right. Fucking
1: hell. I, I i literally realized they were talking about Daylight Savings Time <laughs> just as I finished talking about Daylight <laughs> Savings Time. I thought, fuck it, Paul, you're resting on your laurels of the Emoji Movie. You've got to start paying attention. <laughs> I'm really glad that it was not just me. It was fucking baffling. It was like an abyss of words. And then they
0: um they chase off Ellie Fanning, who's at the window, as she so often is. Yeah. She's at you know, yeah. she's at your window now. Don't go looking at her, it'll just encourage her. She gets chased off, he goes after her and discovers a priest. Yeah. A creepy priest tracing a bunch yeah. of kids out of a house.
1: Played by Sean Locke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh the creepy priest! <laughs>
1: Sean Locke chases these girls.
0: He sees Fanning under the water. Um, our, our lead guy, our Kilmer does.
1: Yeah.
0: And then he bumps into Edgar Allan Poe. And yeah. he says, "Um, Edgar Poe? It's Edgar Allan Poe. Eddie Poe, please show me back <laughs> to my hotel room. And he does and he
1: wakes up. End of first dream. Played by, is it Basil from Dorian Gray? Uh, Ben Chaplin. So yes. Yeah, Basil or Cyril or one of those names
0: One of those guys One of those guys who was murdered was- by pretty boy Dorian yes. Gray
1: Interesting man Also from hit 90s UK sitcom Game On <laughs> What, well, hey So, yes um, He he wakes up and he goes Gosh, I've just totally got to write this motherfucking novel Yes so He goes over to Bobby Lagrange and He goes, Bobby Lagrange And Bobby Lagrange says, Bobby Lagrange is like a Pokemon <laughs> I'll let you out of your Pokeball if you come and um, help me write a novel Yeah goes, Brilliant so, in order to help him write a novel, he stays exactly where he is so Val Kilmer can go and get drunk and try and write the novel on his own. And he tries to pitch the um, the idea to his publicist or, yes. some, or a publisher or whatever. Played by um. Squinty
0: David Paymer, who
1: um, <laughs> appears
0: on Skype in order to tell him that, you know, good ideas have meat on the. Yes. Not mist on
1: the lake. <laughs> mist on the lake. Which is fart in the wind, more like. <laughs> oh. Chip on the. Shoulder? Ship off the old block? I don't know. You're the writer, he says, and hangs up. (laughs) That was mysterious. So then we have um, one minute of vamping from Val Kilmer. (laughs) Do any impressions you have, sir? Do any impressions? I know, I'll do an impression of a black basketball player, says Val (laughs) Kilmer.
0: (laughs) A gay black basketball player, sir. (laughs) I'm typing as a a gay basketball player from the 60s. Though I like short shorts. They are revealing, but they're comfortable. It helps me jump. There was no fog on the lake 12 um, hours later he's like I've... Sam, I've got it I've absolutely fucking got it, listen Hey everyone <laughs> You were working on a novel <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes, of course I was <laughs> I've got it, the voice to end All voices uh, 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 <laughs> <pfft>. <laughs> what was 20, 25 you grand? Did, you just did your arms out <laughs> <laughs> he does
0: He at some stage goes back and visits uh, Bruce Dern um, yeah. Before the next dream sequence And uh, Bruce Dern talks more about those Sluts on the other side of the lake yeah. uh, There's a group of kids on the other side of the lake By the way who are troublesome and the town don't like them Especially Bruce yeah. Dern who's not the killer Bruce. Um, yeah. And Bruce Dern says that He thinks there's some sort of vampire Connection Yeah. Uh, because the um, woman Was staked and it was yeah. inserted very slowly and seriously into her. And he has a little bit of concept design uh, to show to Val Kilmer, as well as an early design of the actual device and a picture of himself mm-hmm. using it. He's still not the killer, yeah. though.
1: No, absolutely not the killer. Speaking of pictures, Val Kilmer does look at a picture of his daughter. Oh, yeah. um, And and, and underneath it is written, my gorgeous daughter, age 12, who died 14 years ago in a boating accident. God, I miss her and I miss her every day and I'll never forgive myself for it. And he stares at that for a good minute or so. (laughs) He reads it to
0: remember his backstory that he so often forgets whilst he's trying to imitate gay basketball players from the
1: 60s. And that photograph was inside a book that said uh, to my dearest daughter, I love you and I really hope you never die in a boating accident from 14 years ago. (laughs) Because I'll never recover from it. I'll never write again.
0: The actual tribute written into that book is brilliant because it's something like, this is my first book. I am proud of it and of you. Signed, Dad. (laughs) Yeah. Good. Dear daughter, book is good. You
1: is better. (laughs) Dinner at four. Please no die. (laughs) But speaking of of death and destruction, back to the fucking sluts on the lake which they're led by some fucking gay dancing boy oh called yeah alden Ehrenreich from from hail caesar and the star wars solo movie. yeah the star wars solo he's movie finally a solo movie starring star wars <laughs> thank god it's the one <laughs> we've all deserved but never wanted and um alden Ehrenreich is dressed up like davy havoc for this yes and, and he's nicknamed
0: he... flamingo
1: that hard flamingo. biker name that would have been passed off properly in a Cormac McCarthy novel you'd have read that and gone yeah I can see that Yes, it would have been in Spanish without any capitals or punctuation and you'd have gone god that's hardcore. He'd
0: be riding through the mesa with like a pink umbrella and a black top hat and he'd be the scariest motherfucker (laughs) you've ever read about if Cormac McCarthy were writing this fucking thing.
1: (laughs) He was a poet when the sun went down and when the sun went down he loved the poets (laughs) god Cormac McCarthy's good (laughs) but in in this he's Flamingo and then Bobby Lagrange shows up yeah. and uh arrest han solo he does because well,
0: he's a rogue he's a rogue he sure he's is. one rogue yes he calls his publisher one last time in order to uh well his wife has found a special book
1: uh it's by special, Walt whitman
0: fucking guy out of Walt breaking whitman. bad yeah what oh yes yeah. yes she's gonna sell that so he calls his agent and asks for 25 grand and the agent's like i'll give oh. you 10 grand 25 grand thank you so much no, I said 10. Thank okay. you, bye. No, no, wait. Oh, shit. Now I have to pay him. Yeah. Now, because he because he got the last word. That's literary <laughs> law. Damn it. I hate literary Damn. law. Written by <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut and Vert and Connegut and Barry Honeycutt and...
1: Baz Spansbarth. That's a good one. <laughs> and Joe Slothrop. Buckfuck had nothing to do with it. <laughs> He's a man of his own laws. <laughs> anyway, after a few more
0: rants about the terrible people across the lake by both yeah. the sheriff... And by the suspicious molesty priest in the dream world. Yeah. He has a few more dreams. He has a few more not dreams. Eventually, it culminates in turning out that uh, the sheriff was actually the killer. Oh, what? I know. Fucking Bruce Nebraska Dern. He hits him over the head with a birdhouse (laughs) and runs off to the woods. Yeah. Um, Which is a good segue for Hall to have another dream. God, And he dreams about all the, all the, uh, I don't know. Oh, the priest The priest murdered and, and drugged. and drugged. He murdered and then drugged the kids so that they wouldn't <laughs> turn into vampires. Yes. He murders them to kill them, and then he drugs them so that they don't wake up from the murder. Then he kills himself, right? He, he hangs himself out of guilt. Uh, the writer realizes that, um, really, he hasn't been able to write because of his writer's block, because his daughter died
1: in a weird boating accident. Oh, yes, of course. And he could never forgive himself. And a highly
0: contrived boating accident. <laughs> yes. From face off. <laughs> Nicholas Cage <laughs> shot her from across the room. Across the room. <laughs> he was in the living room. The she room the of the kitchen. world. He had a sniper rifle. Okay, he wakes up, I think, and he goes to the coroner's office to find that the sheriff has killed the deputy. Yep. Who was around every now and then. Uh, for comedic relief, probably. Yeah. And then he hung himself with a sign around his neck saying "guilty." Yeah. Guilty of what you might wonder? <laughs> all the murders around? Maybe, probably. Probably. Probably not. I don't, know. I don't know. You know. what Bruce Dern's like he goes into the morgue and there's a chick there who's dead. He yeah. pulls the stake out. It turns out to be Ellie Fanning. After all. Pulls the yeah. Pulls the stake out. Then she grows vampire teeth and bites him on the neck. Yep. Oh, how's our hero going to get out of this one? Oh, well, Francis couple doesn't really know, so he just ends the movie.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, the next scene, he's in the publisher's office um, getting congratulated and writing a fantastic novel. Yeah. Uh, what's the title of it? Credits. Twix? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well done on writing a novel. Cut to black, and a post-film thing says, uh, The book was popular, and everyone lived happily ever after. <laughs> Except for old and eldenryke who was never seen again, and also Bruce Dern did kill himself? Also, not Apparently. all of it was a dream. Nope, not all of it. Anyway, nope. bye, bye. <laughs> and then it's the end credits play out with Francis Ford Coppola <laughs> waving at the audience.
1: Like, is it over? Can I stop? Wa- I'll keep waving. I'll keep waving.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that was the end of uh, Twix. Need a minute?
1: I know, I fucking do. <laughs> I mean, the black, the black and the white bits—they were the dreams, right? I mean, it was subtle, yeah, but they were—they were the dreams. Except,
0: except at the end when I don't know—it's it. The Wikipedia says right here. Yeah, right here, Paul. Look, where I'm pointing. Um, oh yeah, oh, okay. Implying that everything from the first dream sequence up until this point has been the manuscript he was writing. Bollocks. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> I not disagree. the case.
1: Yeah. It's this. It's this very metatextual film. Francis Ford Coppola had very grand <laughs> ideas for, and it was the merging yes. of. Uh... Copying Dockhead, written by Paul Allen Goodman, actually, of One Good oh, Thing wow. podcast. Um, yes. Yeah. It's a really Clearly, good novel that actually. a should...
0: massive inspiration.
1: I mean, me, me and Francis go way back. I keep, he keeps saying, Come on, Paul, help me share your ideas. And I'm like, Sorry. <laughs> sorry, Frankie. <laughs> Can't get you out of this one. Yeah. I'll give you a bronze if everyone comes my way. <laughs> but it's, it's this very meta textual idea of merging you know, reality and fiction, um, yeah. the more he gets into writing the novel. We don't really see him writing the novel. No, we just see one, <laughs> one sequence in the dream when he's standing there with a notepad going, <laughs> mm-hmm, really furiously writing things down as this priest is like, <laughs> like murdering a novelist. These girls. <laughs> yeah, just like just like a novelist does. And <laughs> I just, I guess you have to assume that as things get crazier and crazier, that it starts impinging on real life. And when I Bobby guess, LeGrange yeah. turns out to definitely be the murderer, surprisingly, that... <laughs> when he knocks him out with a birdhouse maybe he didn't do that, I don't know
0: <laughs> but yeah the the postscript does imply that the guy did hang himself and then olden eldenreich diss a fucking beard the thing is, with the exception of the very tight plots he inherited from mario Puzo and the godfather coppola, always favoured mood and tone over mm-hmm. actual story mm. the conversation is about anxiety and paranoia, apocalypse now is about nihilism and despair The problem is, I'm not really sure what Twixt is about. Is it about the grief of a grieving father? He involved autobiographical elements in as much as his son actually did die in a boating accident, which is... Oh, Christ. Yeah, that's... Assumedly not from having driven into a rope that was, you know, ghost ship style pulled taut across (laughs) the bow of the boat, but, you know. Yeah. He wasn't cast a troid out of existence, but... um, Oh, is it about... Pain, religious zeal, there's elements of that. Writer's block, vampires? Uh, yeah. the decline of a once promising talent, the complications of living in a small town. It's so it it, it kind of feels like another the Paul and Paul's second cinematic therapy session. <laughs> I'm just not sure that he actually had the breakthrough that Von Trier has. This feels like the work rather than the solution at the
1: end. He he called it in an interview his own student film and that's definitely the vibe that I got from it while watching it. So there were so many obliquely weird Yes. Moments in the dream sequences. There'd be yeah. some crazy soundtrack which didn't match the film at all. Yeah. And and and, and then some the the priest played, played by Sean Locke going uh, and, and like <laughs> waving his hands around at like double double time. Never like, ever go with the people <laughs> across the lake. It was so inept. <laughs> yeah, it was very it just, flat I think, like I'd like to think that it was a film about the artistic the creative process and and what it takes to to actually write something and you know battling your inner demons but because yeah. so much of it felt like so much of it was unintentional comedy it was really difficult to know what was intended and what was accidental
0: it was because a lot of it feels kind of you know puckish like cheeky because of how yeah. like on the nose it is i mean it is a story you know with vampires and ghouls and yeah. ellie fanning and bruce Dern, sort of lunging at <laughs> you from the shadows. So. To some extent, you have to believe it's self-aware, and the thing is, I found the atmosphere of this film utterly intoxicating. Like from Mm. that first dream sequence where everybody's just talking in that way. You scared of me yet?
1: What? (sighs)
0: Yes. Little. (laughs) Uh, That clock has chimed midnight three times already.
1: Keeping track of time around here is pointless. Why, Mr.
0: Book signing? Well, that old hotel is open. But uh, because it really reminded me in that way of a late '90s survival horror game, it's very Resident Evil. It's um, yeah. you know, it's. I hope this is not Chris's blood. Yeah. <laughs> it's very much like that, and very specifically, it reminded me of the recent um, uh, PS3 game, Deadly Premonition. Uh, which I will be absolutely thrilled to sample for you all now.
1: Here you go, the usual. One turkey, strawberry jam, and cereal sandwich.
0: Sounds like the sinner's sandwich. Self-inflicted punishment to atone for past sins. He's setting an example.
1: Mr. Francis York Morgan,
0: you should try this wonderful lunch. It's more than a delicious, tasty crunch all like fmv games like the ripper or phantasma gloria it was that caliber of performance of people speaking to each other and also every scene looked like it had been clumsily like ms painted into the
1: background and behind the actors but he really got the weirdest performances out of these these characters but some of it must cut it comes from these strange editing decisions that seemed to it showed us the character just half a (laughs) second before francis Ford coppola said action (laughs)
0: i still got a cigarette. <laughs> there's one line of Ellie Fanning's that really reminds me of the killing of a sacred deer, because it's kind of like this, mm. especially Barry Cogan's performance, because there's a line she has which is like faux natural, and it's the line where she's like, um,
1: I love your books, especially the part where Elizabeth says, Forsake me never, for I will entice you from my grave. That's my favorite part. <laughs> it's very weird. First five, ten minutes mm. I thought it was pretty strong. Yeah. I thought the performances were really good. He had like quite a nice... <laughs> Bruce Dern lunging at you from the it. awkward camera angle. Oh man, Bruce Dern was all up in everyone's gut. And <laughs> it was amazing. The like really sort of tight, mm. dry comedy. It had Lynch- a Lynchian feel to it. I, I think, think the Lynchian feel the, how persevered. off pieced everything felt.
0: Yeah, the Lynchian feel did persevere in as much as you had these eccentric characters kind of bouncing off each other and bizarre cinematography and sort of lo-fi... Grizzliness
1: to it yeah but this is my point it felt less intentional it felt less intended come come the halfway mark Mm. so at no point is lynch not aware of everything that he's doing (laughs) whereas it felt like francis Ford coppola just lost control at some point (laughs) and it became like he just forgot what he was doing the discussions between val kilmer uh and between hall baltimore and edgar allan pope yeah so cringeworthy And there was nothing insightful about it. I was no. sitting there waiting for some sort of insight about about the process, about you know what it means to create, and yeah, you know, surely Francis Ford Coppola, director of the fucking Godfather and Apocalypse Now and Tetra, <laughs> would have something really insightful to say about the creative process. But and all it block. was was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But all it was was, oh, d- drink some whiskey now and <laughs> do an impression of a gay black basketball player. Yeah,
0: the thing is, I found myself very much very often paying absolutely no attention to what was being said at all and mm. i think that's partly yes. because of the incredibly uh what's the word not sloperific <laughs> when it's something slopperific. um effect of the slob <laughs> slobberific <laughs> this was slopperific says paul ugh. <laughs> five stars <laughs> colon uh um <laughs> It has a really bizarre dreamlike effect where I did stop paying attention to what people were saying and focus more on how they were saying it and the the eeriness of the vibe. There's a very similar yeah. film uh, called Carnival of Souls. and it's a, Carnival of Souls is actually a brilliant film. It was made in um, okay. 1960... Ooh, I want to say 8. Let me just confirm that. But it was made by people who had never made movies before. Uh, the director, Herc Harvey, had only made documentaries before. But fuck suddenly it. decided, fuck it, let's give feature films a go and we'll try a horror. And 1962, oh. excuse me. And directors like David Lynch have actually sort of um cited and George A. Ramiro have cited it as big influences on them. And um hmm. They're using techniques that films wouldn't use. Um because, right. you know, that the nobody would nobody who knew what they were doing would use. <laughs> And they did some very weird things and the performances are pretty bad and the musical score is sounds very cheap because it's by one guy on his organ. <laughs> his early 60s electronic yeah. organ. So there's this... Nice. But everything unites. The cheapness of it, the slight uh, inauthenticity of everything, mm. it unites to form like the closest thing I've ever seen to like a dream on film. Huh. And uh, there's some aspects of that to Twixt, to yes. Twixt. It's, Well It's I mean, a very surreal atmosphere that I did quite
1: appreciate. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like I said, whilst watching it, I was thinking of David Lynch a bit. I was also yeah. thinking of Guy Madden. Mm. You know, the, the Forbidden Room, it has a lot yes. in in tune with that visually. But again, you, can, you watch The Forbidden Room mm. and you fucking love it and think it's the perfect and most mm. difficult film you'll ever watch. Mm. Then you go back to Twixt and you are kind of mesmerised by the visuals, mm. by how it looks like a third rate Sin City. Mm. But what was he doing?
0: Well, that's the interesting thing, is this idea of what was he doing? And, and was this a sort of a stab at something different? Because he can do naturalism. It has been a while, granted. Yeah. But then there's Tetro. So Yeah. And similar films of recent time where he does affect a yeah. naturalism. So Maybe he was going for something a bit more experimental here and the atmosphere was part of
1: that. And definitely a staff effort. And I mm. was really enjoying the first 5-10 minutes. It was very yeah. well shot and I think it was a really strong piece yeah. with a really cool like, plodding pace. He just seemed to let go of the yeah the steering wheel a little bit as it went mm. and just be like, let's see where it turns. <laughs> and But he, was, he had all these grand ideas like the live editing. Sounds fucking mind-blowing. What was that? About... How, well, he had this idea where he was going to edit as the film was being shown. So to change like, change the plot and change the direction the movie would be going okay. in and character decisions and change the experience depending on what uh, showing you went to see. But in the end, <laughs> it, it it was too much effort or too or too difficult. So well, he just that's... ended up changing the story. So, that's him all again... over
0: because originally he wanted, after having spent like $70 million on fucking Apocalypse Now, he then didn't want it to be wide released. He wanted it to be a roadshow picture. In other words, he, like a fucking circus. He and his vans would pack up and travel from town to town showing this movie to people. And like or, or no, that was that it or was it he wanted a massive cinema set up right in the smack dab in the middle of the United States that would be the only cinema in the world showing Apocalypse Now and you'd have to pilgrimage to it. He's he is a madman. It's the well, thing. <laughs> but I think maybe that's what made him so brilliant at one stage, but You can't expect the lunatic who um, draws incredible art out of dead birds to
1: be consistent in his work. In in the past, he's had people to rein that in. He's had studios to say, "No, Francis, don't do that. That's a bad idea." That didn't go down. That didn't
0: always go down terribly well. I don't know what a creative type would have turned this into. Like, what is the
1: ideal version of this? Well, not necessarily a a creative type, but if a studio were here, I'd be curious. have turned this into like what's the commercial version of twixt well i'm i'm not sure because i'm not i'm not a cynical type you know i'm a dreamer (laughs) but i think if there was if there was a a, a realist producer type in there and francis ford coppola said i'm gonna do live editing and it's only going to be playing in this one cinema and it's going to be this and this he'd have gone okay now let's sit down and just try and figure out is this workable and if they can come to the conclusion that maybe it isn't, they could have. He could have maybe worked towards a stronger film that would be suited to the conventional cinema.
0: <laughs> so the theory is that this is only a mess because he had planned on re-editing it every single night of its run, and because he didn't, um, he left in all the terrible acting and the flat, <laughs> the flat cinematography, the bizarre editing choices that include cutting to an operator on the other end of a phone at one point. Val Kilman Look, needs to not- call the sheriff's
1: department so calls an operator and they're like, hello, 1940s. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying that it would have been good. Yeah. I'm just saying that it would have had maybe a bit more direction, ironically.
0: <laughs> if the director had been diminished somewhat, yeah. it would have been more direction. No, maybe. But- um, The thing is, as a good movie, I don't know what this looks like. Like some sort of, I guess it's kind of like a Silent Hill style deal of um, mm. you know, an a upside and a downside to this town and there's a a mirror world that the writer keeps Mm. descending into which is the world of imagination and maybe some commentary on how Mm. creative types are often maligned by modern society Mm. but their insight can in fact reveal things about how the world works okay yeah there's actually quite a lot you could have done with this (laughs) i'm thinking (laughs) about it for a second but um nevertheless as a good movie there's a lot of work to be done as a bad Mm. movie I like it quite a lot. Um, we were originally due to review The Cobbler for this week, yeah. and I got fifteen minutes in and thought, "This is so fucking boring." There is no way we can talk about this for ninety minutes, which is how long we usually do. Fifteen minutes into this, you're at the first meeting with Vampire Fanning. Yes, you know, and you've already had Bruce Stern lunging at you. You've had your Tom Waits introduction. You've had your Halloween Foot Five shots of a
1: deserted town.
0: Yep. You've and had
1: 75, it's cycled through 75 different musical numbers.
0: <laughs> all on the same Casio keyboard. You can't say that it's not entertaining or sort of, well, maybe you could. You can't say it's not engaging. Yeah. <laughs> it keeps
1: trying different things. It's going to keep pulling things out of its pocket to try and keep you distracted. <sighs> Certainly. Just maybe a, a touch more analysis just to root it in something emotional, if not mm. logical. or <laughs> you Yeah. Know,
0: Maybe that there was the potential here for this to be so much more, but as a as a film that's not very good, it's quite good, I would say. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I was glad when it was over.
0: Fair enough. I did read a <laughs> review that suggested um, Four Coppola's career would be much more satisfying if done in reverse. Okay. Like, if this was... If Twixt was the sort of student film of a director struggling to find his feet yeah. and then it culminated in his career of stuff like Apocalypse Now and the Godfather and the conversation, yeah. demonstrating him at the height of his powers, um, and it's a little frustrating that we have things the way around that they are because it just represents a kind of yeah uh, decline, which um I guess is a shame. But well, I mean, I guess it just depends
1: how teleological you want to be about it. Do you want to mm-hmm. see things in this like? from beginning to end and be like, Oh, such a downfall, such a shame. Or just be like, well, he's, tr- he's trying things. They're not working. Yeah. He, but he, he did his amazing work and now he's just trying to do something new because maybe he doesn't want to do another three hour epic.
0: Yeah. Maybe <laughs> he doesn't want to nearly kill Martin Sheen again. The, the greatest, the, the only thing that I really have a problem with about Twixt, the, that mm. really have a problem with is that it is Francis Ford Coppola's last film and that he's still up, you know, he's still alive. He still has energy. I see him interviewed. And he's not making films anymore, and that seems a shame to me. And I wish he was, even if they were films of this caliber. Because, I mean, fucking hell, he's interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's quick fire. Quick fire. Uh, Val Kilmer does look properly fucking miserable in that book signing, in a hardware yes. store. Um, and I've been to some bad book signings where nobody's shown up, and it really is the worst thing in the world. Oh, like, man. there's nothing the author can do to look i mean if they've got their phone out it's like oh god you're not even trying if they're sitting there smiling at people it's like if the author
1: knows your full name then (laughs) it's a bad
0: book signing if you see them chatting to like a dude it's like oh you shouldn't have to chat to that
1: dude (laughs) no no i really liked i really like that last book actually no it was, it was really interesting and it's like oh no yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought your recent book was a bit of a step down actually it was kind of it was week hall baltimore but you know <laughs> i'll still i'll still read the new one i am wearing an unbuttoned checkered shirt
0: so uh, on top of a vest <laughs> so you know make of that what you will you know yeah just uh, brilliant. putting it out there brilliant
1: brilliant anyway i'm gonna go and find a young shop assistant that i can hit on for the next hour <laughs> So yeah, it was a depressing book
0: signing and I liked it.
1: In that book signing, actually, there's one bit where Bruce Dern introduces himself to Val Kilmer and he leans right into him and they're talking face to face, very (laughs) close up. And then the camera pans out and he's stretched the whole way across this table. Yes. Perched on his own gut.
0: (laughs) Yes, which every time I tried to find a a copy of this to stream from, that was the still for some reason. Ooh, I want to watch
1: this now. (laughs) Yes, and he signs Bruce Stern's book, *Best Witches*. Yes, fantastic. This is that wonderful. This is that good, good humor that we were talking about. There is some of it actually in this fucking film, and but it's <laughs> all squeezed into the first five minutes of this film. And I thought it was going to be a very <laughs> clever, very sort of dour, broken flowers, but good kind of yeah. kind of film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if only the first when he picks up his first book at one stage, and it yes. has a quote on the front that says, um, "A great start from a uh, <laughs> good start." Yeah. Well done, it says. (laughs) It says something like um, a good start from a a promising new voice or something like that. And it had to be sad. Like, I actually got melancholy there at the idea of, you know, he's this old author. His glory days are behind him. But, you know, and he's recalling maybe what that quote meant to him the first time he read it. The first bit of praise he got. And maybe it's just because of where I am now where I'm beginning to get the first few sort of sniffs of that truffle of (laughs) um, success in this field. Um, But I can imagine, I could really uh, relate to the idea of what that must have meant to him to have, you know, gotten that first good review from a major publication and the melancholy that he would now feel, you know, in this little Mm. town.
1: Yeah, I I felt that. Turns out that review was Ain't It Cool News. Oh, Oh, no, it never meant anything then. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was something, should have got one from One Good Thing. The real, the real critics. Yay! We loved it. Va- witches. <laughs> witch. Loved it. Best witches. One good thing. <laughs> There's uh, one particular line that did actually make me laugh.
0: She wore a... Div- she wore a it. it was very good. Elle Fanning looks really cool. This is like the proto-neon demon look. Uh, she's kind of mm, completely white with sort of red under the eyes. And shiny braces on vampire teeth. Yeah, she
1: had a she had a look going on. And it was very cool. sort of Tim Burton. I, I enjoyed. Cool. And I was a big fan of Bruce Dern's eyes. He's got great big sad eyes that he <laughs> used to full effect in The Hateful Eight. But he had a big old horrible Bobby LaGrange performance on top of it.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of terrible performances, there was a line where I genuinely don't know how to take it. And it was said by uh, Val Kilmer when he's talking about um, having only written about witches before. And it says something like, um, but what are vampires except witches that suck blood? And uh, Bruce Stern just replies, well, they're very different. <laughs> then just <laughs> moves on, not explaining the differences at all, as if it was just <laughs> evident. Yeah. Um, oh, what, what are vampires, but witches who suck blood? A uh, different thing. Anyway.
1: Oh, no, you're right, actually. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Val Kilmer
0: just, Val Kilmer just quietly mouse, shit. <laughs> I thought that was clever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've got, um... I've just written pretty good. I don't know what else... To <laughs> Be more specific. Oh, I told you this before. There was... That's that's it. There's there's a scene where he's setting up his writing desk. It's an overhead Mm. camera. There's some very. It's almost like the gonk kind of music and um, (laughs) methodically placing pens next to each other and then setting up his his laptop to be parallel to the edge of the desk. And um, it's all very nice procrastination and well shot, relatable, pretty good.
0: Oh, the fucking model that Bruce Dern has built has made of his staking machine with a little Barbie in it. Yes. Built by vampires for vampires According to Mr. Bruce Dern It's fucking amazing And why are you not immediately the murderer Like the second he brought that out It should have just been like Oh you're the murderer What? It's just a a model
1: I'm gonna call every policeman Ring 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 Hello it's Bobby LaGrange Shit I've gotta think of these things Fucking idiot Val Kilmer You fucking idiot Again I'm so drunk You stupid idiot meat on the bone (laughs) it's as incriminating as George Clooney's dildo chair in Burn After Reading I think (laughs) which outs him as the vampire killer in that (laughs) film I didn't watch all of it I imagine the ending went like that (laughs) I thought the soundtrack was really interesting it just didn't match the film in any way shape or form Shot by someone who wasn't Tyler Bates. Shot by nice. whatever. Yeah, I'm sh- I'm doing the film now. <laughs> I'm shooting the <this> soundtrack. <laughs> that does explain a lot, actually.
0: <laughs> I did like the guy playing Edgar Allan Poe, Sir Dorian Gray? Like his lines <laughs> really might terrible, but I liked his hammy overacting in Edgar Allan Poe. Death. And when is this most tragic of melancholy topics most poetical? When it most loosely alludes
1: itself to beauty. He looked put- like he had a prosthetic nose, and I don't think he did. <laughs> it just looked weird. Everything he had pros- about his get-up. He had a prosthetic Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're so good. Hey, we're so good, everyone. <laughs> good and tired. God. Do you have another... <laughs> And, and then talking about the, the hotel scene again, when they're talking about daylight savings, there's something yes. visually arresting about that, I thought. I don't know whether they upped the frame rate or lowered it.
0: I wondered if they shot everything in reverse and then played it forwards. Uh,
1: Okay. All, it was, it was
0: very weird. All
1: of them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Every technique. <laughs> well, first I upped the frame rate, and uh, then I lowered it, <laughs> and...
0: Uh... <sighs> then I simultaneously... Uh, upped it and lowered it. Uh,
1: that yeah. didn't have as much effect as I would have hoped. So then I upped it and lowered it on seven separate cameras, and p- presto, I had an aneurysm, <laughs> and the rest of the rest rest of the film just short, sort of shot itself. <laughs> I woke up with a film. When that happens. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, it's very surreal, and that was in- that was intentional, and I yeah. liked that. Um, I really liked the
0: visit to the kids, the fucking twats across the lake, <laughs> the bollocks across the lake. Um, The visit over there includes some great goth dancing, which is Mm. always a difficult thing to film. (laughs) Um, It's happening so slowly, I can't capture it on my camera. (laughs) Um, And Flamingo, played by Olden Eldenreich, is fucking great. Yeah, He's really fucking... I mean, as as great goes in this, he's speaking French in a bizarre accent. Under the volume of the film. Under the effects of heavy mescaline. I know life, man. And I know the dreams of Baudelaire. (laughs) <laughs> Under the influence of Francis Ford Coppola, he gives a hell of a fucking performance. Fair enough. He's going a million miles an hour
1: in slow motion. Oh, No wonder they cast him <laughs> for Han Solo. Um, <laughs> it's all this, and we're like,
0: yes, the Twix um, guy! When
1: his wife calls on Skype and Skype answers itself, when Val Kilmer's actually still asleep, he, uh, she says, it's your wife. And he's like, yeah, I know who you are. That's pretty cool, I thought.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> now... I've indicated the entirety of
1: the special lemonade scene, but I don't know why. There's a lot of stuff going on with Eddie Fanning, I think, going, Don't drink the lemonade. Don't drink it. <laughs> don't No. And he's just like, drink the special
0: lemonade.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a good Sean Locke impression. Wang, bang, wang, wang, Bang.
0: And I've written the quote, he drugged their lemonade and slit their throats. Oh, that's it. It's because it was delivered really ominously
1: by the fucking narr- narrator, I think. Oh, was it? I thought maybe it was either Val Kilmer or Edgar Allan Poe. Rather than
0: have his children's souls be damned as vampires, he drugged their lemonade and slit their throats. Yeah, it was Edgar Allan Poe in his very serious oh. British voice just saying lemonade. And then he, he... Did a...
1: then he did a poo on their twix. <laughs> He He did a big poo-poo on the little girls. (laughs) Made a mess in their 13-year-old boobies. I'm Edgar Allan Poe, (laughs) paedophile.
0: He laid a body biscuit all over their bonnets.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He was a poet, Paul. You've got to do it authentically. Oh, gosh. He jammed up their diaphragms. (laughs) What? Oh, no. With with evil, priesty-poking... Priestly poking helps bring it back, but you can leave those little curls diaphragms alone, sir, Edgar Allan Poe. I didn't mean any. There's actually nothing sexual about jammed. It was just a sort of rubbish English <laughs> word for, for shitted up. When Ellie Fanning um, becomes a vampire at the very end and her teeth grow and it snaps her braces off. And yeah. as they're flying towards Val Kilmer, he dodges them left and right.
0: With and a little, weird a little ping noise. As if the film was meant to be funny. Oh man. Well, look. Let's end on Fanning because my final one is that the sight of her, sort of covered in blood, sort of in the forest, sort of roaring at the priest, is pretty fucking eerie looking. Cool. Yeah, and that stuck out to me. So, yeah, I'd say that was uh, the end of quick firing about
1: Twixes. Excellent. Well, we've, we've got one OGT. Oh yeah. What's yeah. from the OG
0: team member? Okay, please tell us the one Nell thing about Twixes. Is it that they are covered in chocolate and are delicious?
1: Mmm, Twixy, Twixy, Twixy. It says, "Twixy, Twixy, tricks." Oh no, it's a trap! Yeah. Look out, Han Solo! Is <laughs> it? It's a, a Twixy trap, Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the sequel to the Solo movie. <laughs> it's a Twixy trap, Han Solo. <laughs> A Star Wars story <laughs> Alright, the one, the one good The one good Nell Janelle My girlfriend Hello She said My one good thing Was about 10 minutes in When the sheriff drives Into the curb As he's parking his car After this I blacked out <laughs> Do you lose your directing skills Once you get over 70? Well Well Yes <laughs> Actually Thanks OG team <laughs> Thanks OG Nell. No, thanks No Okay, let's talk about The one better thing
0: The one better thing
1: so my one better thing is Midnight in Paris. Woody Allen's film about Woody Allen after all those other films about Woody Allen. However, this time it's against the backdrop of Paris. Owen Wilson plays Woody Allen, the screenwriter trying his luck with a novel about an old nostalgia shop. His fiance Inez is ambivalent to his dreams and cold to his work, seemingly concerned only with money and possessions. Sounds like any other Woody Allen film, right? Fuck off, you idiot! Because in this one, they're in Paris and at midnight, Owen Wilson is transported back to ni- the 1920s or something to rub shoulders with Gertrude Stein, Ernest Ernest Hemingway the Fitzgeralds and so on it's a great cast giving some fucking powerful performances of the great artists of the last century and it says a lot about writing for the soul and creation and all those things And you know what it actually means to be to do things probably my favourite Woody Allen actually very clever funny and with clear direction and message
0: oh god my favourite my favourite movie that's right (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what this is my one better thing is Shutter Island Mm. hello OG team Paul Salt here. At this stage in the recording, I attempted to recommend Martin Scorsese's 2009 psychological thriller, Shutter Island. However, as this was nearing the end of the recording, and the time difference between the UK and Australia meant I was recording this at one in the morning, uh, in the midst of a bout of food poisoning, uh, my recommendation was a little less than coherent suffice to say there's a lot to recommend martin scorsese's mind bending foray into the horror genre including a great performance from leo dicaprio hauntingly beautiful visuals and a cryptic mystery that intrigues and intrigues anyway that's enough out of me let's get back to those lovable pools and find out what they're up to and so they've all got their tits out <laughs> they've all got their tits out <laughs> You're gonna ki- you're gonna kick each one up the ass in succession. It's gonna be very <laughs> satisfying, and that is the experience of
1: watching Shutter Island. <laughs> Boom! One better thing. Idiots. <laughs> <laughs>
0: the one better thing.
1: Thank you for listening to one good thing, I guess. <laughs> yep yeah. If you wanna get in touch, you can do so at Twitter at OGT Pod, Facebook forward slash OGT Pod. Send us an email, OGTpod at gmail.com. Yep. Um if you if you want to do us a solid like Dennis Rodman did for Kim Jong Un, then you can Aww, bless him, or yeah. like Stephen
0: Seagal did for uh, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, <laughs> celebrities of the eighties and nineties—they're no, a bit sinister. <laughs> What's Jean Claude Van Damme up to?
1: Well, you don't even want to know. Him and Sarah Palin. Let's just say <laughs> they can BFF. see Russia from her house. They, um, yes, they—they they left us a review. So why don't you leave us a review? <laughs> It's—it's only—it's the only decent thing to do, really. Are you as nice as Dennis Rodman? Let's find out. <laughs> You've got one minute Go <laughs> One minute to prove okay. yourself
0: Better than Dennis Rodman
1: Any means necessary Do it now If you're new to the show Then um, please do us A massive solid Like Dennis Rodman I've done that Then subscribe to us On iTunes Or you can catch us On YouTube Subscribe there Or Podbean Stitcher um, Or any good Podcatcher I'm Paul Pye Oh that's the fucking name That's the vernegut name oh, I'm Paul, Paul Pye P-I <laughs> Jesus Jesus <laughs> I'm Potty Glot Johnson.
0: (laughs) And remember, Uh, the one good thing about Francis Ford Coppola's Twix is um, Ellie Fanning. Freaking you out in a bush.